Howdy, and welcome to This is True Crime, y'all. A southern twist on the true crime genre. I am super stoked to announce that I am now part of the amazing Leader One Podcast Network. I still can't believe the YouTube video that was posted by Morgan Rector of Human Monsters had almost 800 views. Mind freaking blown. So thank you to everyone that has listened and shared, and I hope this will become something amazing. So without further ado, this is the case of the Damon Assassins. Yes, I said Damon. Damon Assassins. Not only will we deep dive into this main story, but also tons of other exorcisms gone wrong. I have no religious affiliations. I don't mean to offend, but killing people in the name of Christ doesn't seem right to me, even though people have been doing it for ages. I honestly only believe in Mother Nature, karma, and being a decent fucking human being. But now that that is out of the way, we can discuss our first in a series of crazy-ass deaths that have come from these exorcisms gone wrong. January 17th, 2014. People are horrified after hearing the news stories of a mother and a friend who stabbed four small children to death in Germantown, Maryland. As Zakia Latrice Avery and Monifa Denise Stanford stand in front of a magistrate, silence blankets the Montgomery County District Courtroom. They're obviously denied bond for the heinous crimes they committed four days earlier against small, helpless children. Prosecutors vividly describe an attempted exorcism that left two toddlers dead and their two older siblings critically injured. The children's mother, Zakea Avery, 28, and Avery's close friend, Monifa Sanford, 21, are facing two counts of first-degree murder and two counts of first-degree attempted murder. There were several calls to 911 that night and throughout the day. Police said previously that they were called Thursday to the house where the women lived after a 911 caller reported a child in an unattended vehicle. By the time the police arrived, the child was no longer in the car and no one answered the door at a home nearby. So they just left. Okay. Police returned Friday when a neighbor called 911 after noticing a car with a door open and a knife that appeared to have blood on it on the ground. That's when the children were found dead inside a nearby home. Police said they suffered multiple stab wounds. In the 911 call from Thursday at 10.15 p.m., a male caller reports a baby being left unattended in a blue Toyota Corolla. While the man is talking to the operator, he reports that two women have come out for the child and are attacking the caller and walking after him. He can be heard telling someone, you need to back up off me, ma'am. A baby in the car for an hour is my business. He later tells the 911 operator that one of the women is talking to herself. In another 911 call from 9.30 a.m. on Friday, a female caller reports seeing a blue Toyota with a door open and a knife with blood on it. I heard loud noises in the night, says the neighbor. She adds that she heard what sounded like jumping and running, 
but I didn't think anything of it because there were four children living in the home. After the 911 call at 9.30 on Friday morning, police arrived at the horrifyingly bizarre and heartbreaking crime scene that involved six people, four of them under the age of 10. Inside the two-story home, officers locate the lifeless body of one-year-old Norell Harris and his two-year-old sister, Ziana Harris. Both were lying in their mother's bed. Five-year-old Tania Harris was barely clinging to life in an adjacent bedroom, curled in the fetal position with multiple stab wounds. Eight-year-old Martello Harris was found stabbed and clinging to life as well. It is believed that the children were stabbed while they were asleep in their beds. A day before the killings, Avery had been scheduled to perform an exorcism ritual on a friend named Troy, but he never showed up. The following day, she believed that her children were inhabited with an evil spirit. In court, the prosecution disclosed Avery's record of involuntary commitments for psychiatric delusions and Sanford's history of suicide attempts. The judge ordered the jailers will transfer both women to the Clifton T. Perkins Hospital Center, a maximum security psychiatric facility located in Jessup. There, these church friends turned accused criminals will undergo extensive mental health testing to see if either is equipped to stand trial. We believe that she knew she did something wrong, However, neither woman appears outwardly remorseful for what they did. Montgomery County Police Department Captain Marcus Jones was remarked as saying, Captain Jones, who spent hours combing through the unparalleled crime scene, says, despite Hollywood's portrayal of exorcisms and witchcraft, the Avery's townhome was remarkably normal. There were no candles, documents, literature, nothing indicating a ritual had been held. As of Tuesday afternoon, Avery had enlisted District Public Defender Brian Shefferman, while Sanford's family had hired private defense attorneys Edward Layden and Dana Jones Oliver. She's always been known as a very nurturing, affectionate caregiver, so this is shocking, Jones Oliver remarked. It shocks the conscience of not only people watching television or reading the newspaper, but also of Sanford's family as well. Police say Sanford, who was enrolled at Montgomery College, met Avery about eight months ago. Despite the brutal nature of their alleged crimes, both women spoke quietly and meekly during their bond hearings. The friends will remain behind bars without bond pending their psychiatric evaluations. Martello Harris, age 8, and Tania Harris, age 5, continue to recover from their critical stab wounds. It's just an unbelievable story that I hope I never have to witness again in my career, or anyone else for that matter, Captain Jones said. The children's grandmother, Ida Johnson, age 90, told of her shock, describing the two young victims as the sweetest things. She said, I will cherish those memories forever. Their lives were cut short and they had no say-so whatsoever. It doesn't make sense. Mrs. Johnson said that their children's father, her grandson, 
Martin Luther Harris Jr. has traveled to the Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C. to be with his surviving son and daughter, who are listed in stable condition. Johnson said he didn't know if Avery had a history of violence or when the women's relationship with Harris deteriorated. I don't know what was going on between the family. All I know is they were sweet kids. The great-grandmother added, It's heartbreaking. Something should be done about who did it. But at the same time, it's not going to bring the children back. I just hope they get what they deserve. Avery's step-grandmother, Sylvia Wade, told the Washington Post that Avery was humble and meek and that she loved her children. I don't know what triggered it, she said. She wasn't herself. When a person is not themselves, they are not responsible for what they are doing because they are in, quote, another zone. Joan said the women are believed to have met each other at a church, which she identified as the Exusia Ministries in Germantown. Avery met Sanford there. There, they formed the Damon Assassins with two other women. So it's not a group, really. It's just four people with truly fucked up ideals who are going to assassinate demons. Okay. Detectives did attempt to locate the other members of the group, but do not believe that they are a threat. I mean, that's kind of what everyone thought about these two, but all right. The pastor of Exusia Ministries told police that the women hadn't spoken to him about attempting to perform any exorcism. The pair stopped worshiping about the church two months previous to this attack. According to Jones, while worshiping at the church, Avery was part of a dance troupe and started calling herself a demon assassin. But the monarcha did not raise any concerns because she never talked about violence. She was basically saying that her job as a lover of Christ was that she was going to keep demons away from her. That was part of her and Mrs. Sanford's goal. Jones added that when Daryl Joyce, senior pastor of Exusia Ministries, was asked about Davery's Demons Assassins group, the clergyman described it as a little eccentric, a little bit over the top. You think? Joyce has since issued a statement to the station MyFox DC saying the women were no longer members of his congregation. Both women were being held without bond on charges of first-degree murder and attempted first-degree murder. During questioning, Jones noted that Avery acknowledged what she did was bad, but allegedly did not sow the out-and-out remorse that one would expect to see in a parent accused of killing her children. Now, this is a case of filicide. Filicide is the deliberate act of a parent killing their own child. The word filicide is derived from the Latin words filius or filia, meaning son and daughter, and the suffix side, which means to kill, murder, or cause death. The word can refer both to the crime and to the perpetrator of the crime. There are many different kinds of filicide. Dr. Philip Resnick published research on filicide in 1969 and stated there are five main motives for filicide, including altruistic, fatal maltreatment, unwanted child, and spousal revenge. 
So let's talk a little bit, little bit about these. Altruistic killings occur because the parent believes the world is too cruel for the child, or the child is not enduring suffering. In fatal maltreatment killings, the goal is not always to kill the child, but the death may occur as a result. Spousal revenge killings are killings of children done to indirectly harm a domestic partner. Glenn Caruthers, author of Making Sense of Spousal Revenge Filicide, that's a long title, argued that those who engage in spousal revenge killing see their own children only as objects to use against the other person. Altruistic filicides are committed out of love rather than anger or hate. Now, the reason I bring up the altruistic filicide is because of the definition. Filicide to relieve or prevent suffering. These parents kill to relieve the child's suffering, which may be real or imagined. If the suffering is real, the killing could be characterized as euthanasia. Much more often, though, this filicide is based on a delusional perception that a child is suffering or at risk of going to hell. For example, some mothers who have believed that their children were going to be taken away into white slavery or abducted by a child pornography ring are the type of mothers that commit this act. Others believe that their child is about to be tortured or is possessed by Satan himself. Andrea Yates' motive for filicides was to ensure that her children would not go to hell. Thus, her filicides fit into this category the same. The other subcategory is called acutely psychotic filicide, which doesn't really apply to this case, but I thought it was very interesting because this designation applies to psychotic parents who kill with no comprehensible motive. It includes patients who kill under the influence of command hallucinations, epilepsy, or delirium. There's a reported case of an epileptic mother who placed her baby on the fire and the kettle in her cradle. In a recent case, an epileptic woman in Sacramento placed her infant in a microwave oven during a period of postical confusion. Now, what does postical mean? Because I had no fucking clue. The postical state is apparently an altered state of consciousness after an epileptic seizure, which involves confusion. It usually lasts between 5 and 30 minutes after the seizure, but sometimes it's longer in the case of larger or more severe seizures. It's characterized by drowsiness, confusion, nausea, hypertension, headache, migraine, and other disorienting symptoms. The other types of filicide are the unwanted child filicide, which murders are committed because the child is no longer wanted. This is the most common motive for killing newborns. An example, a 25-year-old widow offered marriage only if she parted with her two children. After being refused placement by social agencies, she decided to, to dispose of them by using a hatchet and gasoline. Child maltreatment filicide usually recurs from a fatal battered child syndrome. The violent outbursts often occur in the overzealous application of discipline. This is the only one of the five filicide categories in which the death is not intended by the parent. However, I do feel like 
you may not have intended it, but you treated this kid so poorly that you really didn't mind if it happened anyway. Okay, here's some facts about filicide perpetrators. Parents who kill their children suffer from multiple losses, including their children, their freedom, and their spouse. These, like, these life events are likely to prolong the parent's depression. The anniversary of the children's death and exposure to things that remind the parent of it are likely to be upsetting, as it should be. The act of child murder itself is highly traumatic and sometimes causes symptoms of PTSD. Parents who kill their children find it harder to forgive themselves than society does. I don't think that's the case, honestly. Look at Casey fucking Anthony. Are you serious right now? Ugh. Anyway. The spouse's reaction to filicide often is that, you know, they they separate. Who wants to live with someone who can kill their children? Like, you might be next. They may feel that they can never trust their spouse again. Obvi. And they would be correct in assuming that. Susan Smith's separated husband testified in favor of her receiving the death penalty. Andrea Yates's husband, Rusty, was supportive of her through the end of her first trial, but he then divorced her and went on to marry another woman. Occasionally, a spouse will remain married, and the couple may even have more children. Excuse me? Hell no. I'm not even sure how that should be allowed, but whatever. I digress. It seems absurd to say it. Now, there are cases of filicide that are attributed to postpartum depression and psychosis. And the facts are that women are more likely to experience psychiatric illness after childbirth than at any other time in their life. In the month following childbirth, women are up to 25 times more likely to become psychotic. Postpartum depression affects between 10 and 22% of adult women before the infant's first birthday. Psychosis occurs in postpartum women at a rate of about one case per 1,000 and usually involves symptoms of hallucinations and delusions. Confusion and delirium are also common. The onset of postpartum depression happens within days or months of childbirth. Because untreated postpartum psychosis has an estimated 4% risk of infanticide, and a 5% risk of suicide. Psychiatric hospitaliz hospitalization, Lord, can't, can't speak, is usually required to protect the mother and her baby. Nearly three-fourths of mothers with postpartum psychosis have bipolar disorder or schizophrenic disorder. Some authors consider postpartum psychosis to be bipolar disorder until proven otherwise. Mothers with a history of bipolar disorder or postpartum psychosis have a 100-fold increase in rates of psychiatric hospitalization in the postpartum period. Mothers who have delusions that their baby is a devil or is ill-fated or is possessed are most likely to have significant abusive incidents towards the baby. Studies have shown that psychotic mothers who attempted suicide often killed suddenly, without much planning, whereas depressed mothers had contemplated killing their children for days to weeks before their crimes. 
approximately one quarter of women referred to for psychiatric services have a child under five years old. It's been reported that 41% of depressed mothers of infants and toddlers had thought of harming their child. Mothers with postpartum depression are reluctant to share their emotional upset because they do not want others to think of them as a bad mom. They're uneasy sharing philicidal thoughts with social workers because they fear that their children will get taken away. Some mothers actually exaggerate their suicidality, if that's how you say that word, to receive inpatient care so they can be protected from killing their kids. There's a huge disparity in the sentences given to parents convicted of killing their children. We're ambivalent about filicide in that society simultaneously expresses moral outrage at the offense, yet often treats offenders, especially mothers, with lenience. I mean, the average sentence for women convicted of filicide in the United States was 17 years. Fathers, however, are likely to receive much longer sentences and are more likely to be sentenced to death than their mothers. No crime is more likely to succeed with an insanity defense than a mother who has killed her children. The filicide categories that are most likely to succeed are the altruistic filicides and the psychotic ones. By contrast, the unwanted child and the child maltreatment filicide perpetrators often go to great lengths to hide incriminating evidence. Many women who succeed with an insanity defense had planned a filicide suicide, but were unsuccessful in killing themselves after killing their children. Psychotic states that predispose to successful insanity defenses include beliefs that the killing must be done for some noble purposes, such as the salvation of the infant or the salvation of the world. Severe depression, though, even without psychotic features, may distort a killer's thinking so that they believe that their children will be better off in heaven. In these extended suicides, it is usually clear that the parent knew the nature and quality of the act and that the killing was legally wrong. However, they often believe that what he or she is doing is morally right for the child. In some jurisdictions, this is sufficient to meet the insanity standard. Even though mothers are more likely to succeed with an insanity defense than fathers, the vast majority of women who kill their children are found guilty and sent to prison. This may be due to the fact that even a psychotically depressed parent who kills their child usually kills with premeditation and carries out the homicide in a logical, methodical manner. In one study of 20 women who raised postpartum depression or psychosis as an insanity defense, one half were found not guilty by reason of insanity, and one quarter only received heavy sentencing. One-fourth received light sentences for the murder of their own fucking kids. All right, now that we've gone through all of the hoopla about filicide and mothers killing their children, let's get into the definition of the word exorcism. 
It's from the Middle English from 1350, and it comes from Medieval Latin, Greek. Exorcimos, administration of an oath, is the religious or spiritual practice of evicting demons, jinns, or other spiritual entities from a person or an area that is believed to be possessed. Depending on the spiritual beliefs of the exorcist, this may be done by causing the entity to swear an oath, perform an elaborate ritual, or simply command it to depart in the name of a higher power. This practice is ancient and part of the belief system of many cultures and religions. Requested and performed exorcism began to decline in the U.S. by the 18th century and occurred rarely until the latter half of the 20th century, when the public saw a sharp rise due to the media attention exorcisms were getting. There was a 50% increase in the number of exorcisms performed between 1960 and 1970s. But this was not the first exorcism that has gone wrong. We're going to discuss several other cases where people have expired prematurely due to the direct effects of having an exorcism performed on them involuntarily. We've all seen the exorcist people. These stories are just as bad, except they're not stories. They're real life, and they are really fucking tragic. While the process of exorcism varies across many cultures, the act of restraining the patient is common, and these restraints lead to injuries and death. The illusion that exorcism works on people with disease experiencing supposed symptoms of possession can sometimes be attributed to a placebo effect. However, there are 370,000 cases of people killed during exorcisms, and another 310,000 additionally with reported injuries not resulting in death. And these numbers are definitely underestimated, as people still do not report fatal cases in many rural areas of developing countries where mental illness is stigmatized. Scientifically speaking, demonic possession is not a valid psychiatric or medical diagnosis. Patients with symptoms associated with physical or mental illness can often be mistaken for victims of demon possession. For example, a shaman beat a mother of two from Thailand with a dried stingray tail because the family had suggested it was a way to rid her of her mental illness, later revealed to be a form of a motor disorder. Despite her efforts to flee, the shaman abducted her and continued beating her until she died. Even though the shaman was later charged with murder, this case study shows that the process of exorcism can be fatal and victims can be bound, beaten, burnt, starved, tortured, and no one gives a fuck all in the name of getting that spirit out. One famous and noteworthy case is a nun from Romania who was a schizophrenic, but her outbursts and episodes were attributed to demonic possession. Father Daniel Corogini, I'm sure I said that wrong, 33, left Sister Irina Corinici bound, gagged, strapped to a cross, 
and without food or water for five days at an isolated monastery in Romania. Father Daniel, whose crime inspired the Cannes Prize-winning film, was jailed for seven years in 2005 and vowed to build a monastery in her memory when he was released. But when he did arrive back at the site of his proposed center, the eastern commune of Zapodinia, furious villagers reportedly chased him into hiding. Although Father Daniel said that he was just trying to help Irina, he was convicted. In the court in northeast city of Vaslui, he was convicted, the priest and the nuns who held her captive that resulted in her death. Nun Nicoletta Arcalianu was sentenced to eight years in prison. The other three, Adina Sapraga, Elena Otel, and Simona Bardanias, received five-year sentences. Dozens of the father's supporters packed the courtroom and prayed for the priest. <laughs> that worked out, with several bursting into tears when the verdict was announced. The Supreme Court in Romania rejected his appeal. This crime was a national scandal for the Roman Orthodox Church, which excommunicated the priest and promised reforms, including psychological tests for those seeking to enter monasteries. The outcome of the case is still shrouded in mystery and doubt, despite the convictions. There are allegations that the court had not properly considered the suggestion that the nun might have died from an adrenaline overdose by paramedics who arrived later. Coroner Dan Gorgio admitted recently that he was that there was some precedence to the theory saying, I was part of the team who handled the exhumation of the nun's body. It was concluded that the woman died of an overdose of adrenaline. Don't ask me. I don't know why the judges did not take that into account. Surely she couldn't have died from being strapped to a cross and not had any food and water. Sure, it was what the medics did. Okay. She had been diagnosed with, as a schizophrenic and her possession was unlikely to be more than a series of schizophrenic episodes. Father Daniel told the court, I consider myself not guilty because her death was not down to the fact that we kept her locked up. We tied her up because she kept hitting herself and we found her dead in her room eventually. This piece of shit admits that he tied her up, stuck a towel in her mouth and kept her like that for five days. I admit that I used to cover her mouth with tape while she took part in daily mass, but only because I did not want her to disturb the service. Very godlike, sir. Very Christian. The only redeeming fact about this story is that when he tried to go back to live in the village he was from, they ran him out on a rail. He now lives in a shack in the woods, I'm happy to announce. If you search children's death by exorcism, there are almost too many stories to count. I'm only going to tell some of the ones with more detail and the most extreme ones that I have found. Because I myself have always thought that exorcisms were something of the past, something from medieval times, if you will, like myths and legends. But unfortunately, this is not the case. 
one such story is an Arizona man who was arrested in connection to the death of his six-year-old son. After he told investigators, he poured hot water down the boy's throat to rid the child of a demon. Pablo Martinez, the piece of shit that he is, told police he was performing an exorcism on the little boy because he was demonic and had a demon inside of him. The boy's adoptive mother, Romelia Martinez, told detectives that her son had been, quote, acting demonic and that her husband offered to give the boy and their other child a bath. She told police that she could hear gurgling coming from the bathroom. When she opened the door, she saw Pablo Martinez holding the six-year-old underneath the hot water faucet and pouring water down his throat. Romelia says she yelled at him to stop, and he told her that he had to do it. She called a pastor, and when he didn't answer, she called not... Okay, first of all, PSA. If you see some shit like this, the first thing you do not do is call your pastor. You get that fucker off of your kid, and you get that kid some emergency treatment, okay? That really pissed me off. Oh, her husband said that he was finally attempting CPR and poured cold water on the child because that would magically make it all better, I guess. He told investigators he tried to cast out the demon after he witnessed the boy having an unnatural fit of rage. He said, I only held the child under for like five to ten minutes. The other child that was in the bath left the bathroom in tears. Can you imagine? Oh. <sighs> okay. Anyway, Pablo was taken into custody on a first-degree murder charge. Police found the child propped in a room against a pillow, and then he was finally rushed to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. According to the court documents, the boy had burn marks on 15% of his body, including his head, elbows, and forearms. Here's another case from Sri Lanka. Sri Lankan magistrate Wasantha Ramayanki and police officers came to the house of a girl who died of an exorcism on February 28, 2021. The nine-year-old was beaten to death with a cane. The girl's mother and the woman she hired to drive the evil spirit out of the girl were arrested and appeared in court following the fatal ceremony over the weekend. The victim's mother did believe she was possessed by a demon and took her to the home of the exorcist, according to officials. During the ritual, the exorcist put oil on the girl and beat her repeatedly with a cane. She lost consciousness and later died at the hospital. Police are investigating whether the suspect, who is known for advertised demonic casting services, had abused anyone else. Then there's a case of a parents of a four-year-old Missouri girl who were killed by neighbors to remove a demon. They pled not guilty to charges. Pretty sure you are, though. Mary S. Mass, 29, and James A. Mass, 28, of Lincoln, Missouri, were charged Thursday with felony child endangerment, resulting in death and are jailed without bond. During their arraignments, the judge denied their request to attend the girl's funeral. Are you, you killed her and now you feel bad about, okay. 
The couple's other children, a two-year-old son and infant, were placed in protective custody. The girl was found dead at the family home on December 20th, where she had been severely beaten and dunked in an icy fucking pond, as what part of appeared to them as a, quote, religious-type episode. Across the road, neighbors Ethan Mast and Courtney Almond were charged last week with second-degree murder and other offenses. Just a heads up, Ethan Mast is not believed to be related to these other shitbag Masts. Both families did attend the same church, but Knox said the actions involving the girl are not condoned by the church, which he declined to name. I really want to know what fucking church that is. The investigation done so far indicates that this is an isolated incident and not the actions of a cult. A probable cause statement from Benton County Sergeant Chris Wilson said the girl was already dead and had severe purple bruising all over her body, including ruptured blisters. Knox said the girl's parents also had been beaten along with the two-year-old. The infant was the only one unharmed. James Mass told investigators that he and his wife observed the beating of their daughter, but were told the beating was fine, and if they tried to intervene, they would be beaten or shot as well. Still, Wilson asked James Mast how he could let people do this to his family, and he stated that they were told that they had a demon inside of their child, and her children would end up just like her if it was not taken care of. So, she had a demon, her kids, everyone's got a demon. Demons for everyone. Got it. Ethan Mass also told him that he and Amon used a leather belt to beat the girl. She was then taken to a pond behind the home where she was dunked in the water. The icy, cold pond scum water on a day when the high temperature was in the low 40s. When speaking of deaths by exorcism, one cannot help but mention Anna Elizabeth or Annalise Michael, who was a German woman who underwent 67 Catholic exorcism rites during the year before her death. She died of malnutrition, for which her parents and priest were convicted of negligent homicide. She was diagnosed with epileptic psychosis and had a history of psychiatric treatment. When Michael was 16, she experienced a seizure and was diagnosed with psychosis caused by temporal lobe epilepsy. After that, she was diagnosed with depression and was treated at a psychiatric hospital. By the time she was 20, she became intolerant of various religious objects and began to hear voices. Her condition worsened despite medication and she became suicidal and she displayed other symptoms which she took medication for as well. After taking medication for five years failed to improve her systems, her family became convinced that she was possessed by a demon. As a result, her family appealed to the Catholic Church for an exorcism. It was rejected at first. However, two priests got permission from the local bishop and they began conducting exorcism sessions and the parents stopped consulting with doctors. Annalise Michael stopped eating food and died due to malnourishment and dehydration after her 67, 67, 67 exorcism sessions. Huh. 
the parents and the priest were sentenced to six months in jail, reduced to three years of probation. I mean, sure, all's fine. In Debury, Massachusetts, a 19-year-old man was charged in the death of his father. He told police he was baptizing his dad in a Massachusetts pond to exercise his demons. Jack Callahan, 19, choked back tears in a court Tuesday as he listened to prosecutors describe the moment divers pulled the body of his father, 57-year-old Scott Callahan, out of a pond. He is facing murder charges in relation to his father's death. The young man told investigators that he and his father went to the pond around midnight after he picked up his father from a Boston bar. He says his mother did not want her drunk ex-husband at the family home. Both the prosecution and defense say Scott Callahan had a long history of substance abuse and suffered from the aftermath of a traumatic brain injury. And we all know what traumatic brain injuries lead to. Huh. Just saying. According to Jack, at the pond, his father became combative and punched his son in the face. The 19-year-old then decided to, quote, baptize his father in an attempt to exercise the demons. Scott Callahan was found in the water 50 feet away from the shore a short time after the baptism. He was taken to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. In Virginia, there was a man who was convicted of the death of a two-year-old who died during a 2011 exorcism. Edgar Guzman Rodriguez beat his daughter Jocelyn to death in the name of the Lord and to attempt to rid her of the demons that she had. Police summoned to the scene encountered several people holding Bibles outside the home where Guzman Rodriguez stated that he had also become possessed by a bad spirit when he punched and choked Jocelyn to death. Oh, so y'all all, y'all all got date. Okay, all right. The girl is found in a bed wrapped in a blanket surrounded by Bibles. Such beliefs in demonic possession and the violent exorcisms that may follow have a long history and can harm the most innocent among us namely children. Y'all, it's just wild as shit to me that this is sometimes the first thing that people go to when their kid is acting bad or having an episode. I mean, there are so many things that it could be related to that do not involve spirits. But as disturbing as it is, there are many historical precedents. Uh, A century ago in Ireland, it was not demons, but other supernatural, malevolent entities that were believed to possess babies and children. Some children were believed to be changelings or false children, or children possessed by an evil spirit that could be driven from the child through abuse and punishment. In a book called The Burning of Bridget Cleary, is about a woman who was killed by her husband in an attempt to exercise Fairy spirits from her. Honestly, I want to be a fairy. Whatever. Folklorist Angela Burke of the National University of Ireland notes that many accounts can be found in 19th century newspapers 
and police reports of suspected child changelings in Ireland being placed on red-hot shovels, drowned, or otherwise mistreated or killed. I honestly had no idea that these cases were so prevalent in modern society until I started looking up the original case of the demon assassins. It boggles the mind to me because I am a mother that one could go to such great lengths to do something so heinous and just be a bystander and let it happen. Honestly, I feel like that's the evil part of this story. You knew that your child was having issues. So then you either beat them, starve them, run their mouths under hot water for 10 minutes. And you thought that was going to drive the demon out of them. Honestly, perhaps you should have been driving it out of yourself. Thank you for listening to This Is True Crime, y'all, and I will be back with another even more fucked up episode next week. I hope everyone has a great evening and bless your heart.